I'm Jamie Goldstein from Pillar VC, and welcome to Build with the Best. It's our chance to connect with the smartest minds in the blockchain Web3 world and get their perspective on building real, useful applications on Web3, the fun and the challenges of this brave new world. Jamie Goldstein and his guest are not registered investment advisors. All opinions are Jamie's and his guests alone. Nothing discussed today is investment advice, and it should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Today, we have the founders of Reach with us, Chris and Jay. Guys, we would love the audience to hear your stories. So Chris, maybe you go first. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, so my name is Chris. I am the CEO and co-founder of Reach, um, the, the better half of the two, um, no matter what Jay's about to say. <laughs> but He gets to go I, last. Yeah, exactly. So I, uh, I started as a software engineer 20 years ago. 22 years ago now. I'm getting, I'm getting up there in age. Um, I, w- I was a software engineer for about, uh, I believe, like nine years um, in the insurance industry. And I did it in academia a little bit. Um, but then I made, made the, the trek over to product and then leadership and then executive teams. And then I just dove right into entrepreneurship. And about, about 2015, I, I really started falling in love with blockchain. Um, cause when I started hearing about the idea of the, of the world computer or the trustless computer, I, I really, I thought, wait a second, this is, this is like really like earth changing potential. So, uh, at that point I was, I was running a services company and anytime my developers had some free time, I would have them build some, uh, solidity Ethereum applications, nothing that serious, but just kind of like get my feet wet with understanding how, where the power is. Uh, in 2017, I jumped in with both feet, sold off my entire company, uh, started a scaling solution. Um, we, we built out a prototype, built that up, started bringing that to market and found out that uh, unless we you know, take advantage of the ICO boom, which I did not want to do because I felt like a lot of that was scammy, um, yeah. I wanted to actually build a true business model around scaling and then realize that I could sell to every single developer in the market and not be able to keep the lights on because there's only you know a few thousand developers, um, which really you know the light bulb went off. It's like okay, well, if scaling is not the problem today because there's not enough developers, I guess the true problem is developers. Where are all these developers? Uh, and at that point, uh, made the pivot to create Reach with with Jay. Uh, I'll let Jay talk about his background and why he was the perfect partner for this. Um, yeah, but right. to to build a platform that's brought all of the developers in the world to blockchain. So, Jay. Awesome. And, I, and I'll just interject. I remember back in like 2017, 2018, we used to do this event called Proof of Drink at our office. Chris was a, a frequent attendee, spent a lot of time next to the beer cooler. Remember, your beard was uh, beard was much, much smaller back then. So you've everything's grown in you. Jay, <laughs> exactly. let's hear it. Yeah, so uh, my name is Jay McCarthy. Um, I, uh, you know, am from the Boston area. Grew up in a dairy town, uh, and then did my PhD at uh, Brown University, um, studying uh, computer science and crypto protocol analysis. I did a my dissertation was about producing a verified compiler for a language uh, for writing down. Uh, decentralized computations. Um, but these decentralized computations didn't take for granted the existence of something like a blockchain. They instead were like typical, um, you know, 
public-private key-based authentication protocols. Um, and then, uh, you know, finished my PhD, became a professor at uh, Brigham Young University, and then uh, got tenure at UMass Lowell. And then, you know, spent the last 15-ish years doing research on formal verification, programming language design, and uh, cryptographic analysis. And um, I really had no particular interest or insight into blockchain uh, at all. Um, but I got to know Chris. And uh, I remember this uh, particular occasion where I was um, talking with somebody and uh, they were like, oh, you know, what, what the heck is uh, blockchain for? And I like interrupted Chris and gave him an answer. Uh, <laughs> this is what it's for. And, um, and then he was like, hey, whoa, how, how come you're... How, how come you're making the argument for blockchain? What do, what do you know about this? Right. And, um, and yeah, and so basically it's sort of uh, opportunistically got into blockchain, realizing that a lot of my background was just what the, develop, the developer experience needed. Um, and yeah, and so that's how I got into it. Um, and I would say that the thing that I take to block, take to reach is the like the the formal programming language background that underpins a lot of the technology that we use, um, and I'm sort of the most non degen person you can imagine, uh, and so my, uh, my my attitude uh, can help us do maybe uh, weird iconoclastic things that are against the uh, the norm of blockchain, and I think that that uh, is helpful for us sometimes. Right. On average, you guys are, are sort of right down the center. So say a bit more about reach guys and why uh, formal verification is important and, and all of uh, the research that Jay did for his PhD. So reach is important for three major reasons. Uh, number one, blockchain development today is too low level. Uh, it requires a knowledge of how to build state machines, which the traditional developer, the, the, which, which are there's tens of millions in the world have no idea how to do that. They, they, they know, have no business doing that. Um, and then when they do, they make mistakes. So what reach does is it raises the level of abstraction to allow for developers to write at the level of the participant. So it's much, much easier uh, to write faster, to write, and easier to learn as well. So that's one of the things that's very important. The safety thing, the form of verification is, is part of the, the safety pillar of what Reach is. And it's actually only one of the, the features of Reach that makes blockchain development with Reach even even uh, safer and, uh, and better in that aspect. Now, I'll let uh, Jay get into the, the details in a little bit exactly of, of what formal verification is because he's way more qualified to explain than I am. Um, but you know, at the high level, formal verification is mathematically um, guarantees that your code will do what you expect. Uh, so this, uh, this allows for developers to put in single line assertions and be um, it, the the compiler generates the proofs to prove that those, those assertions are correct in all potential realities. Uh, and uh, it's, it's really, really powerful. But we do uh, many other things that I'll let talk, Jay talk about as well to make sure that the, the output is extremely safe because with blockchain, there's zero budget for bugs. You make a mistake in, in blockchain, you lose everything. Someone takes right. all of your money. You know, I think this year already we set the set the record for most money taken from bad contracts. You know, it's not even halfway through the year. So this is super important that developers use uh, something like Reach. And then the final thing that's really important is that we abstracted the the nuances of, of the the block the different blockchains away. So a developer can write in one platform, Reach, with our language, and it automatically convert to the the correct 
uh, technology to launch on any chain rather than learning the proprietary information for a single chain. But uh, Jay, if you so want to talk far, about more about the safety aspect. So far, you're supporting Solidity, supporting Algorand. Correct. Yeah, so um, all EVM chains, uh, Algorand, Conflux, and the next one that we already have the the grant for is uh, Cosmos. But with the with the eventual plan to just be um, beyond them all. Yeah, great. Yeah, Jay, um, a, a few more bars would be great. Um, just you know, we know you can go to PhD level depth. Uh, yeah, so- but let me uh, let me just talk a little bit about um, the extra stuff, a little bit more detail about how the formal verification works. So I think that most people are familiar with the concept of testing. Testing basically, uh, if we were to use an analogy, it would be like you build a bridge and then you keep driving cars over it and you try to figure out weird cars that you haven't driven over yet. And uh, you're looking for, you're hoping that every time you drive a car over, the bridge won't fall down. And the problem with that is that you can only test a finite number of situations um, because you only have a finite amount of time. But your program will, of course, be used in an infinite number of situations. And the way to solve this is to use mathematics. And of course, math, uh, doing proofs about what programs do, um, was actually one of the main reasons that computers were invented in the first place, um, you know, over 100 years ago now. Um, And the, the way that it works is, almost the same thing as what you did in um, in uh, algebra class uh, back in middle school. Or you learned that x plus y is always the same as y plus x. And so using that really simple rule, you can take a formula and then rearrange it. And what verification does is it basically says, does this thing uh, on your left hand, does your program that you actually wrote equal the thing on your right hand, the specification that you think it's supposed to do? And essentially what Reach does is it makes it so that you can write your program, we can automatically turn it into math, and then we can synthesize a whole bunch of standard rules that all blockchain programs should follow. That's the specification on your right hand. Mm. And we also give you the ability to write down your own special rules that are custom for your program. And the kinds of things that we want all programs to deal with are things like, uh, I don't know, when the program tries to send money, it actually has that money. Um, and so that's a really basic property called token linearity, and we expect all programs to have that. Yep. Now, traditionally, to use formal verification requires you to uh, learn a complicated new programming language, a complicated new way of doing specification. And we've meticulously designed Reach to make it so that the transformation of the program into the math is always easy to do. And the ultimate goal of everything that we're doing, like we are not tech wonks who think that this technology is cool and we just want to use it. Our goal is to bring more people into blockchain. So we want to expand the blockchain market by bringing in new developers who can't afford to pay for really expensive audits, who can't afford to acquire the skills to use these verification tools. We want to bring in consumers who don't have to be scared about their application stealing all of their money. And so ultimately, everything that Reach does is about expanding the blockchain market and protecting end users in the process. And so that's really where the goal of verification comes from. And, um, you know, I would say that from a research and theoretical perspective, Reach is a really boring language with a really boring verification system. And that's on purpose because we want to stay in the normal, simple case of verification, because we know that that's going to be automatic and performant 
And we're not going to get into you know, hot water trying to innovate in the way that we do verification. Very good. Thanks, Jay. And, and guys, just uh, remind us, where are you with uh, how many people have used Reach? Like how far? And, and maybe a little bit on how many commercial applications have gone live at this point. Yeah. So I, I haven't ran the, the numbers today, but I would estimate we're around 6,300 developers that we've brought on um, board in the last year. We're growing at around 5% week over week. So we're actually growing actually faster than many blockchains are going. And we actually have more developers have built on reach than many blockchains actually have. So we're very proud of uh, the, the, yep. uh, the growth that we're doing. And it's mostly through word of mouth. Um, just people telling other people like this is the way to go. Now, uh, that includes everything from the, you know, people writing hello world or, you know, you know, toying around and see like their ideas, but we also have uh, commercializing VC backed startups and we're sitting around, I think around a dozen VC backed startups right now. And, that's um, that number is actually growing faster than the number of uh, of um, developers, mainly because uh, the the uh, the VC backed startups uh, started actually trusting us later than the regular developers. So they kind of there's like a little bit of a, a d- delay with that. So um, like so that's going really well uh, as well. Yeah, sounds great. So guys, where are we with um, crypto adoption at this point? I think I saw statistics something like eight percent of people in the country have crypto but very few are actually using it for anything useful they're just you know collecting it so where where do, where do you think we are and and when do you think you know the average user the mass market starts to experience this so i think that uh many people right now are familiar with the idea of crypto um but to them cryptocurrency they when they think crypto they don't think blockchain they don't think smart contract they don't think dapps they purely think cryptocurrency and they think about cryptocurrency the way that your taxi driver in 1999 thought about tech stocks they didn't understand them they were just exciting things that were going up that people wanted to be part of and to me those numbers about 8% uh are very misleading and we should not be patting ourselves on the back as the blockchain community with numbers like that. Um, In contrast, in 1990, which is not a time that anyone would have thought the internet was a major phenomenon, there were 100 million people um, who had uh, internet service provider contracts in America. And of course, if you were alive in 1990, like I was alive in 1990, (laughs) um, then you know that that time was not a heyday where like, oh yeah, the internet is a big deal. And so I think that right now we are extremely early in blockchain adoption. And the thing is that people who have been around for five years or for six years, it's really easy for them to believe that we've made a lot of progress because they went to East Denver when it was 20 people. And now they go to East Denver and there's a thousand people or, you know, 5,000 people or so on. But the thing is, is that we still know, like, I'm pretty sure, Jamie, that you could write down, uh, in one piece of paper, all of the blockchain company ideas that you've been pitched. Um, like everyone is trying to do the same sorts of things and we're not really expanding the idea about what constitutes a DAP and who those are going to be valuable for. Yep. And so part of me thinks that that is a pessimistic thing to say because it says that all this progress has not really been progress. 
But actually, I think that it's really a, a super optimistic thing, because if we've observed the growth of the market caps of some of these cryptocurrencies, and we've seen them explode by 100 times, in fact, we are just at the tip of the iceberg. When a network like Algorand is actually used for valuable things and valuable products and services, where there are not 100 million users, but there are actually um, you know, 300 million users or something like that, that is going to be completely astounding in terms of the value of these uh, networks and what they can do for people. Right on. Love it. Okay. So the obvious question then is what is holding back progress? Is it consumers can't figure out wallets? Is it uh, the tools are too hard to develop? Is it a general lack of trust? What do, what do you, if you had a magic wand, what, what do you think flips it? It's the, it's the lack of actually making the world a better place. Um, the, the blockchain as much as like, like, the people in right now, we're we're enraptured with uh, how amazing blockchain is, and yeah. Um, but like the truth is, is that all of the excitement and all the progress is made hasn't made the the world on the whole a val- more valuable place. If you, yep. It's yep. like people don't aren't actually getting that value. Um, and what that value means is like like really is you hear it all the time the killer app. Like what is what is the killer app? How is what is, how is going to make blockchain make my grandma's life better? And that doesn't exist yet. And um, Jamie, you're you know, so you're a VC. Uh, can you predict what the next killer app is? No. No. <laughs> uh, if you could, you would invest in one company rather than investing in multiple, right? So yeah. you, you have a good idea of like these are things that can be better, and you have analytics and everything, but it's impossible to predict what the next killer app is. So what you need to do is is, is a numbers game. You need to. You guys need to invest in multiple companies to give as many shots as possible. But right. in reality, what needs to happen is that more developers need to be able to build more things, and that is what the catalyst of the killer app is. So the thing that is actually holding the world back today is that there's maybe you know the number of developers that are are building. There might be ten thousand that are actually true good blockchain developers at this date, and there's tens of millions of developers in the world. Right. So. How, how should we expect that a killer app is going to come out of the, the brains of 10,000 people? That's just not going to happen. So we need to make sure that we that blockchain development is more accessible, both actually the development side and also the understanding of what blockchain is really good for. So for the entrepreneur to understand where where how they should use it. Yep. Um, so that needs to be further along before the killer app comes, which is the which is the thing that's missing with blockchain. Very cool. So we've, on previous episodes here, we've interviewed people about building Uber on Web3. We've talked to people about building Yelp on Web3. And we get into a discussion about, okay, well, what what would make, what would be better about that solution? And, uh, you know, participating in economics, transparency, uh, you know, sort of more of a sense of control are some of the things that pop out. We're going to go through a list. Uh, it'd be kind of fun. I'm just going to throw some ideas at you guys about other topics. But but before I do, do you think that killer app could possibly be a new Web3 version of an existing app or something kind of close? Or do you think it's going to take some net new experience that we can't even imagine yet? I believe it's a new thing. And the reason for this is because... Um, so there's a p- paper out there I'd tell everybody to read. Jay's probably going to laugh because he's heard me tell people to read this paper a lot. Uh, it's called Some Simple Economics of Blockchain. It breaks down what the true value of the blockchain does. And, you know, so you don't have to read it, which I recommend you do read it. It's, it's, it lowers the cost of verification. 
Um, the the no brainer thing to do is to find industries that have a high cost of, of verification and apply blockchain there to lower that cost to have a higher ROI. Yep. But a higher ROI is not the thing that is the killer app. That's just going to make people, you know, make more money. Um, but lowering the cost of verification has a, you know, another benefit is that if you lower the cost of verification so much, that entire industries that could never have existed before because the delta between the, you know, the verification, the, the amount of money you'd make is so high yeah. that they don't exist. That's where the real true exciting thing is. And that's where the you, killer app will come from. What do you mean when you say ver- the cost of verification? Like how do, how should people... I'm just using applications. What, what do you mean the cost of verification? Who's doing verification today? Yeah, when we say verification in this context, we're not talking about the formal verification of software that we were talking about before. Right. We mean the verifying that the other party uh, is representing themselves authentically. So I think that a really simple example is to take uh, something like Uber, as you mentioned before. Um, imagine if rather than using Uber, uh, you just walked outside of an airport and there was like, um, a, a sticky note on a telephone pole that said, call me for a ride to the city. And there was just a number there. Uh, I'm pretty sure that only crazy people would call that number and say, hey, I saw your number on this telephone pole. C- come pick me up. Yes. Um, and that's because it would be terrifying to know who this person was. And so in some ways, what Uber is doing is they're providing a really amazing consumer experience about, you know, you don't have to know exactly who you're getting, like they're providing that marketplace. But one of the main things that they're providing is they're providing the quote verification that the other side is reliable. And it's that feature of them that creates trust for consumers to use the service. And it actually goes in the other direction too, because they are not like the taxi medallion where um, they take anybody, right? You as an Uber driver, you want to verify that the user who's coming into your car is not a crazy person as well. And so Uber, the main thing that they are providing is that verification service. And they, in fact, are doing it drastically cheaper than the alternative, which was the taxi medallion. Because the taxi medallion, it essentially provided, quote, verification by making it so that there was a government bureaucracy uh, vetting potential taxi drivers. And the government bureaucracy is very slow and ineffective at its job of verification. Now, there are lots of other domains where we verify not just people's reputation, but things like exactly how much money that they have in their account. You know, do you, when you buy this thing at the store uh, and you say, oh, put it on my tab, people are not going to put it on your tab when you're buying a, you know, an Apple computer for a few thousand dollars. Right. Um, they need to trust that you really have the money. And again, what Visa is really doing is that they are saying that if the other guy doesn't pay, we'll figure it out with you, the merchant. And so lots of things in the world are providing this verification service. And this is the special thing that blockchain does from a technological mechanism by making it so that the ledger and the rules that all the contracts are following is public information. You can then, as an individual, ensure that the other side whether that other side is a human with an account or whether it's a smart contract is going to do what they say that they're going to do. Right. And that is the true power of blockchain. And it's a very abstract power that is, it is intuitive why this being important is foreign to people. Very good. So, so one, one thing I want to actually add to it too, to kind of build on top of that is, um, is let's talk about something that's, that, that, that someone would love to exist, but can't exist because the cost of verification is too high. 
Uh, one of the examples I would like, I, you know, like to talk about is like, is uh, secondary album sales. Like back in the day when people bought records, right? Yeah. The, the record producers would love it if they could actually collect, collect a royalty on if you, you bought it from me. Yes, I got that royalty, but now you sell it to Jay. Um, they would love a piece of that. Sure. But it would cost way too much money to to hire people to build a system to monitor every single potential sale to say, hey, Jamie, you sold this and uh, you didn't give me my cut. Um, I mean, they could say, hey, everybody that resells this, please uh, give us uh, 10% of whatever you rebought it for. Nobody would do that. Like, why would we do that? Um, but so like the, the cost of verification for that is way too high. So um, blockchain could apply to like secondary royals royalty because the you could actually decrease the cost of verification that that happens so much that the original seller can actually sell the first thing for a cheaper price because there's a longer tail on the profit. Right. Yeah. This last thing that Chris said is really important. A lot of people hear, oh, the other guy can track me and know that I'm going to sell it for the rest of my life. And they feel like that is a scary thing that's going to make it cost more. And yes, it is going to make those secondary transactions cost more in some sense. But this really means that the original artist is going to be able to recoup more of their original original investment. So that means, as Chris said, the first price can be lower. And in fact, the subsequent prices can be lower too, or rather the percentage can be low because they know that they're going to get that long tail. And so one of the things that's kind of unsatisfying about blockchain from, um, you know, talking about it from like a social welfare perspective is that everything on blockchain costs money. And it, the fact that it costs money is right up in front of your face when you're thinking about the application. And that's not generally the way that we think about, especially the Web2 world. The Web2 world is all about hiding how the thing that you're doing costs you or benefits the other party. When you're going to a social networking site, they are attempting to... Um, uh, shadow the fact that they are selling your eyeballs to somebody else. Right. And many people are surprised when they learn that that's what these social networking sites are really doing and they feel offended by that. And so I think that one of the things that's going to be difficult about adopting the Web3 world and th- designing for the Web3 world is thinking about who's paying and why and helping them understand why that paying is actually a good thing for them. But also making sure there's um, potential faucets there so that they can make money for the thing too. So yes, they're paying paying money to use this thing, but there should be more places where they're making money as well. Very good. So let's shift gears a little bit. I think this idea of uh, the cost of verification is a is a neat concept, and I think it it rolls through a number of the examples that I'm going to throw at you. So so let's start with uh, how about Tinder and dating apps? Yeah. So be made better on Web three. I think that um, you know one of the main things that you think about with blockchain is you think about what's a situ- what what is a problem where people are paying a lot and they should be paying much less, or what's a situation where people are paying zero and they should be paying something, even if that something is very very small. So I think that uh, Tinder. Uh, by the way, I'm a, a happily married man of 13 year, 14 years, so I don't actually know anything about yeah. Tinder. I know what uh, I know what it what what I what I what I read about in the news and. One time I was on a trip and when I put on my phone, I didn't put that app on my phone. Wait a second. One time when I was, uh, was flying somewhere, I landed and the guy next to me pulled out Tinder the second we got, uh, we got on the runway and he opened it up and 
uh, he was like a DJ. He was flicking right so fast through every single thing, not even looking at it, uh, because he was just looking for uh, you know a date for that evening or whatever. And so this tells me that uh, Tinder is uh, hurt by people having too much ability to, quote, swipe right. Um, and if it costs them to swipe right, then you would be more discriminating in the people that you swiped right for. And Tinder, that's sort of like Tinder at a micro level. But of course, Tinder at a macro level, its goal, presumably, is to uh, allow people to have to get started building healthy relationships. And um, one of the problems with that is, is that there's these phenomenons of ghosting or people not liking each other or people not showing up when they're supposed to, people being rude. And so one of the things that Tinder could facilitate is basically having people uh, bond themselves when they go to a date. So basically you could do something like, uh, I am bonded up to $1,000 of being a jerk. And so you go on a date with me and if I'm a jerk, um, whatever that means, um, then Tinder has some uh, settlement process where your $1,000 is forfeited. Now, maybe $1,000 is too much. Maybe it's a mere $60 to pay for the other side of you know the dinner if you don't split it properly. Um, but maybe if someone uh, shows up, if, someone, if you see that someone is bonded for $100,000, then uh, that's actually quite the important flex of their wealth. And you know many people are interested in that when they're dating. So those are sort of two kind of uh, different ideas about how blockchain could easily influence Tinder. Yeah, staking would be a great, a great thing. Very cool. Love it. Okay. How about TripAdvisor? I think that's, uh, let's see, TripAdvisor would be another thing where, like, how valid, how true is your actually feedback? Did you have a bad experience and then you're you're just really laying it on or maybe that it truly was a bad experience? Yeah. Um, it, like, once again, like, this is... How, how would you do this? So you could do it where a the restaurants or the the things that are being reviewed could actually bond as well because steak. And um, so like they're they're putting out there and then it's like, OK, well, this is this is what our, our promise is to be good. And then you could actually make it so that um, that the individuals are also staking with their reviews. Um, I wonder if you could actually do a point where the by staking your reviews you can either start shorting or longing the actual potential revenue of that that restaurant so that if you're actually reviewing and more people go to it you can actually get a potential like part of the future revenue so it incentivizes more people to review to get more people there mm -hmm. um, but maybe there is actually a way to actually short it as well where it's saying like uh like this this restaurant's actually not that great, and you'd be able to say, okay, well, I I actually also stake, but I believe that the that that people shouldn't go to this one, and um, it, the future of revenue is going to go down. Spitballing here, I don't know. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I th I think of um, just a very simple point that uh, I get nothing from contributing to TripAdvisor other than maybe small satisfaction that I did good by this vendor or I helped a customer avoid a, you know, a bad restaurant in the future. Uh, if you simply had a token reward for contributing, then maybe that, you know, uh, engages people in the community more actively. They participate in, um, you know, token drops. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, pro the problem with simply having a reward is yeah. that you want rewards to go with good behavior. So for example, um, when someone makes, 
uh, the coolest pair of shoes, you go buy the shoes because they're the coolest shoes. We don't want to give people money just because they make shoes. We want yep. to give them money because they make excellent shoes. Yes. And so by analogy, we want to figure out a system that rewards great reviews. And Chris was trying to talk about sort of one kind of great review, which is, is that uh, many people, when they travel, they want to find the thing off the beaten path that they wouldn't have discovered otherwise that would make their trip really wonderful. And so it's very difficult to reward that kind of experience because when you go to TripAdvisor, basically what you're kind of seeing is people write on TripAdvisor when they're unhappy or when the, the, the restaurant has bribed them to. They'll do yeah. something like, uh, show me that you reviewed on TripAdvisor and I'll give you a, a dollar discount or something like that. Right. And so that means that reviews are basically all bad or inauthentic. Yeah. Um, and so that means that it's not providing quality information. So we're searching for a way to get quality information out of there. And so trying to figure out a way to get rewarded for doing something that is truly good. And Chris is trying to say like, well... What is truly good is that people will actually go there and buy the products. And so you have an incentive to discover new things, just like you, Jamie, as a VC, you're trying to discover new companies that have an idea that will actually work. And by you getting a piece of their equity, if they are successful, then you will be successful. So now you have an interest in doing a great job discovering. And the thing is that restaurants basically are not part of the VC market because the returns are so small. And because yeah. the returns are so small, there's very little reason to identify great people. And if TripAdvisor is about creating an amazing trip experience, then that to me is the place that I would think TripAdvisor should go to. Right. Like one of the problems when you think about how to blockchainify something, it's very easy to look at the interface or the product that is currently being offered. But what you need to do is you need to look deeper into what is the human concern that this company exists to handle. And TripAdvisor is about people making rare decisions that they can't take back. Because you are only going to go to Southern France one time in your entire life. And so you can't repeatedly go back over and over and over again and find, oh, well, I should have gone to this cafe, right? You want to find a trusted advisor who can tell you what this once in a lifetime experience is best going to be like. And that's very different than a review website. Fair enough. But uh, so in Chris's example, if I found out Chris was a owner of a restaurant because he wrote a very favorable review... Is he so trustworthy? No. So this is actually where, so now like to dig in deep, to become a, to actually write the review, you actually have to stake that, um, that your review, like, so I'm actually putting in money into my review being correct. Yep. And um, so how I would actually, now, as Jay was talking, I completely constructed this. So how it would work <laughs> Cut is... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Take two. All right. So, uh, so what it is is that um, the restaurant tour, I think that's what they're called, says yep. I'm going to give ten uh, percent of my revenue or my profits to um, to this TripAdvisor, D TripAdvisor, and um, and then what what can happen then is that review to get that ten percent, you have to actually stake real value, real money into your review and the amount of stake is your portion of that 10%. Okay. So now what you can do is that you can actually read these reviews and then you can also see at the, the skin in the game that they actually put in there. 
but the uh, but the, the so you don't want to put so much stake that you don't actually get the returns back because now you're you're sticking your value in somewhere you're not getting a good return for, but you're actually truly staking the the restaurants that do actually perform well, so that you are um, you are actually being rewarded for that that value you're staking in your in your review. Is there any risk that I would lose that that stake? So one of the things that you could do is that you could actually make your stake a deflationary stake, meaning that um, that you need to actually make enough money to cover the potential loss of the actual deflationary of that, uh, like deflation of that stake. Yeah, I like that. Cool. Of course, there's just the opportunity cost of making a bad investment. Um, so you don't necessarily need to have something more than that. But the other thing that you could do is you can think of it as, all the stakes collectively provide insurance for people against bad restaurant experiences and have a vetting process for people to make claims on that stake. So imagine that you go to the restaurant and you get food poisoning, then you actually take the stake uh, that other people have done. So this is a way to whatever the whatever the process for making claims is, you're basically saying that those sorts of things won't happen. So is this beef or what kind of steak are we talking yeah, exactly. about? <laughs> yeah, I the same way, tofu steak. So, okay, let's roll with that one for a minute. Let's pretend we wanted to build this new TripAdvisor. Details to be determined, some flavor of what you guys were getting at. How much of that could actually be built today? 100%. What? Okay. So tell me a little bit about how- I actually want to build this now. This might be a new company that we create. Okay, sounds good. I'm in. I'm in. So what uh, what are what are the big building blocks? I imagine you're going to program it in Reach, but what are the other what are the other components? Um, I mean, so like this is actually a pretty simple, straightforward application because all you really have is a, a staking aspect, the ability to actually put in money, and then you have the ability for the restaurants to to create the pool that can be staked on. Okay. So the blockchain portion of this is pretty straightforward. By Where far, the most complicated. Yeah. What's where, that? Well, where do the where do the pictures live? Where do the review content live? The discussions, etc. I mean, the same place that's uh, the internet. I think the, where the internet comes because, like the the interface itself can be centralized. It just the the part when you build a, a decentralized company, you're actually building two things. You're building a decentralized public good, and you're building a centralized interface for that public good. Um, this allows for. TripAdvisor and uh, Expedia and Yelp and all of these companies to actually still live on the same um, public good, but provide a different interface or different discoverability. Um, so like this is one of the, the big things that you really need to think about when you're building a decentralized company is that the the rails, the actual foundation of the decentralized thing is, is decentralized, but the interface can be centralized and there can actually be uh, a whole new different revenue model for that centralized piece. Okay. I think one of the problems that a lot of people have is, is that they think that their blockchain company has to be 100% everything in every way blockchain. And I think that that's a really simple mistake that people make that makes it that makes their product idea become more complicated and more challenging to construct. Mm. And I think as well that the existing poor developer experience in blockchain has made people look at companies building on blockchain and saying, well, they're spending 90% of their budget on the blockchain programmers. When in reality, if you look at a traditional company, like a, a company making a, a smartphone app, they are not spending 90% of their uh, capital on the programmers. And that is not something that is different about blockchain. It is a sign of blockchain's infancy. So we find in the people who are using Reach, 
that they spend the vast majority of their funds and time on the traditional interface, on the product development, on the marketing, and on the traditional things that companies do. And we consider that to be a success because blockchain is not rocket science. The problem is, is that the tools are so poor. Reach our, our goal is to deliver to the world the steam shovel so that they can start building skyscrapers and not having to build them by hand, but they can build them with modern tools. Just to make sure I understand it, you, you guys say that the, the sort of mechanism for allowing people to stake in the restaurants and the deflationary and all of that, uh, that's the part that lives in the blockchain. But the pictures right. and the reviews... All of that lives in Amazon Web Services? Well, maybe not all of it, um, but like the HTMLs, the CSS, the actual, like the, you know, the, the elastic search that will allow for actually better discoverability, that can all be in traditional centralized um, development. Um, the key here is to actually make sure that you have um, the the actual main public good itself is the decentralized aspect yeah. and yeah. everything else can be centralized. Okay. okay. Um, some people would say, just uh, pointed out that, uh, my goodness, this new alt um, trip advisor, they now have my data, my data being the reviews that I wrote and how could I possibly trust them? How do you respond to that? I probably wouldn't put the reviews themselves, the actual content of the reviews in um, Amazon. The I would have probably store, as long as there's actually not tons of data, um, I would store that in, in some type of decentralized way. Yep. It's more about yeah. the the processing of that data, the discoverability of that data would be um, off-chain. And Fair enough. Traditional okay. Awesome. Guys, this has been great. Um, uh, one last question for each of you. If you met an aspiring entrepreneur... And they said, hey, I'm really interested in blockchain and Web3. Where should I look to think about starting my next company? What space would you tell them other than Alt TripAdvisor? <laughs> um, I mean, I would say, like, number one, the thing that I tell everybody is that stop asking us people that are in blockchain today. Because if we were as smart as what we thought we were, blockchain would be a lot bigger than it is. Um, we are, we need the, the, the outside of the box thinkers to come in and try things that we haven't thought about. So I am very open to what I think are crazy, dumb ideas purely because I think that the future of blockchain is in the hands of the people that aren't in it today and don't know anything about it. I don't think that, um, I don't believe in the idea of the anonymous unattached entrepreneur that is just sitting with an empty head and that can be filled in with any random idea that comes and they're going to sort of execute on it. Yeah. I think that the only way to be a successful entrepreneur is to have something that you genuinely care about, either because you care about it for yourself or you care about it because you have a deep relationship with the people who are, whose lives are going to be improved by that software. And I would say, who is the, who do you really care about? Find out what they actually need and try to help them. Don't think about what you know how to do or what you know how to build or what the blockchain guy down the street says that you can build. And the thing is that every person out there has a domain that they are intimately familiar with that the rest of the world isn't. Even if it's not one of the pages on the yellow paper um, that is uh, currently in blockchain, we truly believe that every single industry period is going to be on the blockchain in the future. 
blockchain is as transformative as a technology as the internet. If someone walks up to you and says, I'm starting a company, you do not even ask whether or not they are going to have a website. Of course, they're going to have a website. It would be crazy for them to not have a website. It would be crazy for them to not use email. It would be crazy for them to not use accounting software. In the future, blockchain will be so boring and uh, infrastructural that people will cease talking about it because every company will be on blockchain, period. So you can pick any page in the phone book. There is a reason for that uh, business that you're looking at to be on blockchain. It may not be the right time to build it right now, but there's a reason for it to be on blockchain. Yeah, fantastic. Really good way to end. Chris, Jay, thank you very much for your, for sharing your time and your insight with us. Good luck with everything in the future. It's My been a pleasure, pleasure Jamie. Thank you. Jamie's